what's up? Canucks Talk coming on an hour early today. A very special day. Canucks beginning of the season press conferences slated to happen. I'm Jamie Dodd. Drance is uh, on location at Park. Park Casino not happening at Rogers Arena this year. The Canucks are at uh, Park Casino. And uh, without further ado, it's going to be Rick Tockett, Patrick Alvin, Jim Rutherford all addressing the media today. And here we go straight to Park. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the 23-24 Canucks season. We are looking forward to this. It, it really starts with free agency, but it revved up last week in Penticton where we had our rookies there. We were very pleased with their performance. Um, the team played well, but it wasn't just about the team playing well. Some of the, you could see that some of these younger guys worked hard this summer and uh, their development was very good and, and certainly some of them will should take a big step this year. So we're very pleased with that and and also that team did well and and some of our other prospects like Lakamaki and and um, Patterson, Seeloff, you know, they they weren't even there to join that team and, and the team looked pretty good. So so anyways, um, we're looking forward to the season. Tomorrow we uh, start on the ice. It certainly appears that um, our guys worked very hard this summer. I saw them at the golf tournament the other day. Everybody's talking about it. And uh, certainly a number of players have put themselves in position to have good camps and, and fight for jobs. So I'm not gonna take too much of the time I know you have questions, there's three of, three of us up here, but anyways, welcome to the start of this season. Uh, we'll go first for Jim. Uh, just your thoughts on the offseason in terms of the acquisitions your organization made, the moves, and how you've prepared yourself heading into this season with some of the additions you've made in particular to the NHL roster. Well, as everybody knows, we had a number of shortcomings last year. And we feel that we've improved some of the areas. We'll see how much we've improved them. But penalty killing was a, a sore spot. Uh, we brought guys in that have had success killing penalties over their career. And we hope that they can come in and help us in that area. We changed our defense and, uh, and the defense uh, will be harder to play against. It'll be a little bit different. We obviously brought in one or two older guys on defense, which buys a little bit of time for some of the prospects we have coming. We feel pretty good about some of our defensemen that are coming, but we don't want to hurry their development. So that gives them a little bit longer to develop. But overall, we've, we've put ourselves in a stronger position, which isn't that hard to do. We, we're coming off of an off year, so... Uh, um, we still have work to do. We're not sitting here saying we're where we need to be. We still have work to do. But based on what we had to deal with, we're still working through the cap. I think we've pretty almost got it unraveled. Uh, we're probably a contract or two away from getting to where we want to be. And, uh, and then we can really move forward the way we want to. And Rick, Jim talked about how it looks like some of your players have had very strong summers, have you know, come to camp ready to go, and you talked a lot last year about 
the importance of the summer for a lot of your players. Do you get that sense as well? I, I guess you're going to find out at training camp here in the next couple of days, but is that what it looks like to you too, as well? Yeah, we'll find out, but the camaraderie of, of them being together, like Jim said, um, you know, hanging out with the guys yesterday, how excited they are. Um, you know, the, the leadership group is really, uh, I think, has really bonded even more, um, taking a lot of steps, you know, I got to give them credit. So it's got nothing to do with me. They, they're the ones that kind of orchestrated this. Um, but I'm a big camaraderie guy, um, you know, team type of guy, and I think that's a, a, a big step to getting to where we want to go. Yeah, I just uh, want to ask you about, um, Rick, to you. There is a, a significant pressure on this team to start well, given what's happened the last two years. So how does that affect how you approach training yeah. camp and how you approach battles involving younger players because you, you might not want to take those chances and know what you've got going into the first part of the season. Yeah, everybody wants to, you know, make the playoffs. Everybody wants to win the cup over here, but you, you got to go through the steps to get there. I'm a Staples guy, you know. You know, if you're not back-checking and you're not changing hard, and if you're not doing the things that we're asking you to do, it's going to be hard to, to, to go there. Yeah, everybody wants this, but there's a lot of work to get there. That's how you deal with pressure. You know, you, you, you have to do the little things. Um, you know, we've had numerous talks with players about that. You know, if you're not prepared, pressure hits you. So the big the start is the big thing around here. And I just, I, I told the players that I don't worry about the start. Just worry about first day of camp. And then we'll go from the second day. And I know it's a cliche, but I believe in that. Um, you know, one step at a time, one brick at a time. And then, you know, when you, you, you play the right way, you know, we all, us coaches use that all the time. You deal with pressure, so I think that's the way. That's my advice to those guys. Just worry about the first day. Don't worry about the start. You know, the start, the start, the start. You start thinking about the start. We have to have a good start. Then you're going to start squeezing your stick. So that's my job is to make kind of ease these guys into it in the sense that just do the right things. We'll be fine. Hoaglander and Pod Coles and two young guys that seem to be at a really important stage of their careers. Um, what do you want to see from both of those guys, and what are the chances that? both make this team well they already they've already started the right direction the way they've uh, treated this summer you know uh the way they've trained already uh, you know they're, they're looking great already um they got to get an opportunity you know i want to get them uh, an opportunity in camp to, to, to for them even to relax and go out there but yeah anytime you get young guys in your lineup it, it really pushes the envelope and it it brings a lot of energy to your team and all the good teams i've been on yeah you you have good veteran players but those younger guys push the pace um, and those, that's what I'm looking for those guys to do, is push that energy and even in practice every day. Morning, Patrick. Uh, Ily Mikheyev, what is his status? Is he going to be ready to hit the ice tomorrow? And is there a plan in place for him as far as preseason and readiness for October 11th? Yeah, <clears throat> Ilya has uh, done a tremendous uh, job this offseason in his rehab and uh, very committed. He's going to start skating with the non-contact jersey uh, with the C group, I believe, and uh, then we basically go day by day here. Uh, but his work ethic, commitment, and uh, where he is, um, it would be uh, not far uh, for him to be joining the big team there. I haven't seen the official camp roster. Uh, lots of PTOs around the NHL. Are there any at this camp? Uh, why or why not? 
Well, uh, not as of now. Uh, we talked about a couple of names, but we also feel, uh, as, as we, Jim said here, that um, a lot of young players deserve a, sh a chance. Uh, the way they pre pre uh, uh, performed in uh, Abbotsford last year, um, last week in Penticton, we were very excited about uh, some of the young guys, and we want to see them in, in uh, position to succeed here. So that's, uh, we, we got a full roster as of now. A question for Rick. Uh, what's your philosophy for putting lines together at the beginning of training camp? Are you, do you anticipate doing a bit of experimentation or are you trying to, is the goal to get the lines that you want for opening night? Yeah, I do sections, you know, three, four days, see how it goes. You know, you, you know, I'm a, you know, Scotty Bowman was a big pair guy, I like putting pairs together and you can put people with them. Um, we'll see how that shakes out. Um, like I said, and you know, you, you there's some competition, right? So, you know, it could be day-to-day -day as early as now. You know, you try somebody different. Maybe there's three guys that are, you like what you're doing, you keep them. So, it, to me, it's a, it's a fluid thing. I, you know, I, there's nothing set in stone right now, and that's what training camp's for. Um, and, you know, you want to give everybody the opportunity, too. But you also want to get your, your main guys ready, too. So it's kind of a – got to kind of find that sweet spot. And question for Jim, uh, do you have a status update on uh, all the construction at Rogers Arena and perhaps um, the search for a practice facility? They're working to get things done at Rogers. Uh, I believe they'll, they'll have it done for us by the, for the start of the season. The, uh, there's a few moving parts with the practice rink. It's a priority for ownership, you know. Uh, they talk to me about it. Not every day, but fairly regular basis. That it's a very important. And uh, as everybody knows that lives here, lived here a lot longer than me. There's not a lot of land around, and it certainly doesn't come free. So we're going to have to get creative, and that's what we're trying to do. And my hope is that this is the practice rink can be in place for the start of the next off season. Uh, Patrick, uh, this is your second full season. Um, you obviously came in last year with big hopes, big ambitions. You guys didn't make the playoffs. That, of course, comes on the heel of sort of seven, eight years of a lot of hope and a lot of ambition and not making the playoffs. From your perspective, why is this season going to be different? Well, again, I think the big part here is that we're aligned as an organization from the top to the bottom. Uh, speaking the same language, the coaching staff in Vancouver and Abbotsford having the same message, uh, the same system, the same practice habits, we're more in line. Um, the internal competition have, have increased since, since last year. Um, great uh, finish last year for the younger players, as Rick touched about the, in Abbotsford, how they uh, competed, how they grow. Um, I think a big part of it this is to have that spark, the juice from the from the young guys, and I saw a big uh, improvement uh, how uh, the older guys uh, bought into when Rick took over the team, uh, understanding what, how we want to play. Um, there is no guarantee for success, uh, but we're ready for ca for camp here. And and same as Rick, I give the the leadership group and the team uh, credit for uh, doing what they can to prepare themselves coming in here early and uh, ready to go here tomorrow. Rick, um, last year Jim early in the season expressed a lot of frustration about the team's preparation in a lot of regard. You've talked a lot obviously about physical, uh, you know, being ready to play. Yeah. But from your perspective, what does preparation mean? Like what does this team need 
to start off the season and go through the whole season? Well, I, I think it's steps. Um, you know, we all know the compete level's got to get higher. We all know that. Um, and I, I saw it come, you know, and I give the players credit for that last year. Um, preparation, obviously, you, you have four months off, so the preparation starts pretty well. If the season ends, you, you know, you do your little vacation, but it starts. And I think it's so important to do that, to play the way you want to play. You know, if you want to be a team that's hard to play against, you got to be in shape. Uh, but saying that, you know, it's also just habits on and off the ice. You know, we 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 hired a uh, science guy, uh, Alex Shrinker from Pittsburgh, who's a who's a guy that we're familiar with. That's going to really help us in that regard of recovery. You know, we we travel a lot here. Uh, there's going to be some times where you know, parts of the schedule we're going to have to really make sure that we uh, we have the guys recover. So that's all part of that preparation. Um, and the one thing is, too, is I know Jim touched on it. Like, I'm excited. Just I was up in Penticton, and I also was in Abbots for watching these guys play. And there's some guys, you know, they're pushing for jobs. That's just that's great for the organization. It's going to put some heat on other guys. I think that's what good organizations do, and that's what, you know, we're doing here um, is, is pushing from the bottom up. And um, that's how you prepare. That's how guys prepare even harder. Jim, if memory serves correct, when, when you were first hired, we talked about the cap back then, and a few minutes ago you mentioned the fact that you're maybe one contract away from being where you'd like to be with the salary cap. Why do you think it's it's been so difficult to free up cap space and a lot of times part, part with draft picks to, to get rid of salary? And do you have an optimal number where you'd like to have the franchise operating on cap-wise? Yeah. Um, one point of correction, I said two contracts, just Sorry. just for the point of correction. <laughs> Give me a little leeway there. Sure. The, re the reason it's difficult is there's a flat cap, okay? And we're not the only team dealing with it. And moves that were made prior to us coming here, I, I don't even disagree with them. You know, I mean, people were making moves on teams thinking the cap would keep going up. And if the cap kept going up, we're not sitting having this conversation. And so it's been a flat cap since COVID. Um, that's going to change next year. And also we're going to be at the point where we're, we're out of some contracts that we would prefer not to have. So, uh, so we'd hope to do it quicker. We hope to do everything quicker. We all want to win immediately, but, uh, we have, uh, we've moved as quick as we can. Whatever opportunities are there, we've taken. And we'd like to move quicker, but we haven't. Come December, it'll be two years for you on the job. Do you, are you starting to see light at the end of the tunnel? And where do you think you're at with this organization? Where are the organizations at where you see it going down the highway? Well, the thing that I, I can feel comfortable with saying, because it, it, in some ways it's about wins and losses, it's, it's about success at the at the end of each season, but I like where we're at with our hockey operations group. Patrick touched on it. We have a group that uh, is together now and aligned in a sense of of how we want to do things, how we want to play. I feel really good about our development department. I feel really good about our group in Abbotsford. You saw that last year where we had a relatively young American Hockey League team, and they competed hard. They did pretty well for, for where they were at. And I, I suspect that Abbotsford should even be better this year, and we're going to do that with a lot of young players. So 
in order to ultimately get to where you have to get to, you have to develop your own players. You have to draft right. Um, uh, I'm sorry that I did not include Willander when I talked about prospects that weren't there. I, um, so I just wanted to say that also. Seems like you're the guy getting all the corrections here. Um, but uh, I, I, I like our staff, I, it, you know, and, and like Patrick was saying, um, Abbotsford is going they, they play the same way as the Canucks play, the same system and whatnot. Talk had a, a coach's seminar in Whistler a few weeks ago, and, uh, and we've had those in the past in other organizations, and it was really good. You know, it was so good because Jeremy Colton was there. He's part of those talks, and he even, he even has his input on different things that talk's doing and back and forth. And, and so that's my point about how that's aligned and how, how they work together and have the communication. So guys, when they get called up here, they're not taking two or three games to figure out how they have to play. Because by that time, they're not playing and they're back down. So it gives all the players a better chance to be successful. Patrick, one more. Yesterday you moved on from Tanner Pearson. How much of that was giving him a fresh start, maybe a much-needed fresh start, and also maybe the fact that, as Jim mentioned, there's young guys that maybe could earn a job this year. Yeah, it definitely was a combination. I um, want to thank Tanner for, for his five years here. Uh, especially going through what he did last year, uh, put his hours in and uh, showing up here in, in good shape. Uh, I couldn't guarantee him uh, ice time and, and, and a roster spot. And we felt that uh, this was a, a hockey deal where we improved our depth in, in net on the back end getting established goalie was uh, Casey DeSmith. Uh, but you're right. Uh, the, the, improvement of or younger wingers uh, made us excited uh, and, and uh, we felt that this was a move that uh, freed up some some cap flexibility as well so uh, we wish uh, Tanner and his uh, family all the best moving forward Rick oh sorry go ahead this is for Rick anyway um, Rick we've never seen you run a training camp before are you able to give us uh, just an overview of what it's going to look like, what the points of emphasis are, what what your fitness testing looks like. Yeah, it, it, you know, people overblow like a hard camp. Like I'm, you know, we're not going to go line for an hour. Like it's 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 edu it's an educational camp. You know, it's systems, it's uh, battle drills, um, you know, it's off ice workouts. It's it's all calculated. You know, uh, I'd be dumb to run the guys through the ground the first three days. You know, it, you know that's why we brought in Alex, a, a, a science person like that. And obviously, you know, like I, the staff I got here is incredible. It's, it's the best staff I've ever been on, um, or comparable to Pittsburgh with Mike Sullivan when I was there. Um, just the, the hockey mind. So there's a lot of educational stuff. You know, the, the players want that. They want to know where to go and the situational stuff. Um, and we're going to supply that. And we have a lot of people, to, not just not me, to supply them with that information. Um, saying that, you know, there's going to be battle drills. You know, that's hockey. You know, you're going to have to do that stuff. And we're going to have some, you know, some flow drills also. But um, it's it's more of an education. Is it hard? Yeah. I mean, every camp's hard. Adam Foote said the other day, he goes, yeah, every camp I come into is hard. I don't, I don't. You know, one way or another, do I dread it or not? He goes, if you're prepared, you don't dread it. So, yeah, we had the skating test. Uh, guys did the skating test, uh, but we'll go over the results later. And then our, our VO2 test, it's today. 
uh, they did and some of the other tests. So we'll go through that next couple of days. But, uh, yeah, we're just first day of camp. Just excited to see the guys get on, uh, on the ice. Get the anxiety. I think, you know, some guys get anxiety and squeezing the sticks early. So that's our job as coaches to, to supply them with, you know, to, to just go relax and just, you know, one brick at a time type of thing. So that's basically a camp for me. For Jim, we haven't had a we haven't heard from you in a, in a few months, and I'm curious to know, over the course of that time, is there anything you've learned about this group or about managing this team in this city since we last heard from you uh, when talk it was announced? Yeah, I you know I try to learn something every day, and. Uh, and, and, yeah, I've learned. I don't think it's different managing this team in this city. You manage a team the way you think you should manage it, you know, whatever comes your way or whatever you, you generate to make the team better. But uh, I do feel, I feel very strong about our hockey operations staff and our coaching staffs in both places. And uh, we put ourselves in a, in a stronger position to succeed. Do we have enough players? Did we make enough changes? You know, that's why we play the games. But certainly if we didn't, Patrick's going to be working on it on a regular basis. Uh, Rick, just want to ask you about defensive pairs in your top four. Yeah. I know there's some thought about whether or not Ronick should play with Hughes or you should split them up given they're, they both have an ability to kind of control the play when they're on the ice. How do you see that? Yeah, there's good questions where, you know, who plays with what. Um, we have a lot of, there's going to be some good competition there, you know, um, so that's going to push base. You know, I know the big story, who's going to play with Quinn Hughes? It could be a couple of guys, you know, like it, it, we're not, we're not, something's not set in stone right now. You know, there's, who can play left, you know, it, it's, it's, it's hard some, for some guys to play, if you're left to play right. So, you know, those are the things we have to go through. That's why, you know, you got Sergey and Adam Foote here who are terrific at that stuff. And, at, and also teaching guys to play your offside, you know, how to handle the puck you know, what to expect in certain situations. So that's going to take some time. So, um, you know, as of right now, you know, don't, don't read into the, the pairs we have now, um, but uh, we'll see how it shakes out. I mean, every coach says the same thing, but, yeah, we have some ideas. Um, I'll tell you, you know, it seems like whoever Hughesy plays, the other guy plays pretty well. So when you have a player of that caliber, you know, he can make – and that's what good, great players do. They make other players better. So uh, we'll see how that works out. For any of you, because um, some of you may have uh, seen more of Demko than others, but uh, you brought in some additional goaltending depth, and we know this guy's an elite goaltender, but he hasn't necessarily shown yet that he can get through a full season with a ridiculous workload. What do you guys see as the optimal number of games for Thatcher Demko? Well, do you want to? You hear the coach. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, there's a lot of depends on that. I mean, obviously, he's an, we know he's an elite goalie, you know, and we know we're not running him every night. So um, we'll find that sweet spot. There's a lot of factors, too. You know, uh, you know, my goal as a coach, hopefully he can play half the net. He doesn't have to play post to post every night where he gets bombarded, you know, with 18 grade A chances. Like, you know, if that's the case, then, you know, he might only play 20. You know, like... You can't, you can't have goalies like that caliber at, uh, under that barrage. And so you have to, you kind of, when you make decisions on goalies, like you look at workload, recovery, you know, we're going to be very on top of that. Uh, we're we're going to actually, we actually have a third goalie that will be our practice, which is a huge thing that 
Jim brought in here and Patrick. I love that, uh, being able to have the third goal on the ice. So it gives Thatcher less, you know, more recovery time. Um, that will help. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know the exact number, um, but obviously he's going to play a lion's share for us. And hopefully, uh, you know, we don't give him too much of a workload every night. Jim, Patrick, um, you guys have you've made a lot of moves. Um, it's been a tough situation that you've had to deal with with the flat cap, um, but you have made some considerable moves. You feel like you're aligned with your coaching staff. You, you feel like you're, you're, you're better prepared for this season than last season. Is it fair to call this season a referendum on the work you've done, or do you still feel like you're in the beginning of the process still to turn the team around? I think we're partway through it. There's still work to be done. I mean, we're not even a, we haven't even qualified for the playoffs yet. And, uh, and we're, we're trying to clean up some things. So, um, you know, every season you have to, you have to judge the management and the coaches and, you know, that's, that's what we do in sports. Okay. Um, I think to be very to the point, the changes that we made, we have a playoff team if everything goes right. Okay, your goalie has to be good, your specialty teams have to be good, you can't get into a lot of injuries. Okay, now I'm not saying if one of those things go wrong we can't still make it, because we have some impact players that can win games by themselves, okay? But we want to get to a point that we, that we have enough in our lineup that you can have a few things go wrong on a regular basis and overcome that. But to be frank with you, that, that's my opinion. It may not be these guys' opinion, but that's, that's how I feel about the team we have right now. Do the other guys have an opinion? <laughs> I, I missed that. What was that? Do, do the other guys have an opinion? I'm sure they have. A yeah. No, I, I, again, I think Jim wants yeah. to hear it. <laughs> again, we're going through the process, and and uh, but again, from my standpoint, uh, watching the coaching staff working together, uh, having the the same plan, the same message. I think that that is so important for for all the players in our organization, and we're going to continue to emphasize on, you know, the environment. Uh, the players going to feel safe walking into the rink. They they going to know where they stand, and uh, we're very pleased with uh, with our development staff supporting the players. And and uh, I, we saw a lot of, of good things last year. So my my hope is definitely that we're going to carry on the momentum from last year where we finished and and be ready here for tomorrow. Uh, Rick, uh, in the offseason, uh, obviously you brought in a lot of players that are filling some keyholes in the lineup. You've also talked about there being young players who have an opportunity to make the lineup. Where do you see those kind of opportunities where there will be key battles in training camp? Where are those opportunities heading into training camp? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, uh, there's, there's some spots there that um, they're up for grabs, right? I mean, I'm not going to, like, specifically, like, you know, it's the fourth line, third line. I, I, I'm not going to get into that because you never know what shakes out. But um, <clears throat> adding the guys that we did, uh, grit and character, right? These guys are gritty character guys coming in the room. That's already, I think, submerging in the leadership. It really helps. 
Um, and for the young guys, I remember as a player, as a young guy myself coming to Philadelphia, <clears throat> you always go in, if there's an opportunity there, um, you know, you want to see younger players take advantage of that, you know, and to me, that's the, sta the staples we talk about, our pillars, and that's why, you know, a guy like Jeremy Colleton down there is so important. Our, our development guys, they're preaching the same thing we are, um, and they've talked to these guys probably more than I have, the younger guys uh, the, the, that have a shot, um, and what the expectations are. Um, but, yeah, like for me, I'm excited. Hopefully a couple of these young guys do make the lineup because it just adds enthusiasm. It just – it really does. You know, I know it's a long year. Sometimes practice is drag and you need a little lift. Those young guys really lift those things. So that's why I'm excited. Hopefully some of these guys grab that spot. Um, and there's some spots. There might be some stop, spots higher up in the lineup where a couple of these young guys can, you know, the way they skate or the way they forecheck, the way, you know, they can release the puck. Those are the attributes that you want from those type of spots up there. So, yeah, there's going to be some competition. And, and um, I'm just excited to see the competitiveness in the camp. Jim, when the trade went down yesterday, there were some fans who brought up an uh, incident from Casey DeSmith's past where he was arrested. Um, you were the GM in Pittsburgh when he came in. Uh, what was your due diligence then to look into that incident, and what can you say about it now? Yeah, well, let me be clear. It, it was an unfortunate incident, and uh, not, not somebody, something that anybody would feel good about it. But yes, I'm the one that gave him the chance in uh, Pittsburgh, and and we we vetted this. We you know we we asked a lot of questions. We went through it, and the there were charges laid, and he pleaded to a certain charge, a lesser charge, um, but based on the information that that we had, that. There was a point where I, I'm trying to be careful because I don't want to get this wrong, and it's been a while. But despite the fact it was not a good incident, we had a comfort level at that point in time that that everybody involved was okay with with the penalty at that point. Patrick, I think there was uh, a good portion of the fan base that was hoping Elias Pettersson would arrive at camp with a contract extension in hand, and unless you have breaking news that you, you want to share, it looks like he's going to start camp and the season without a deal. Have there been any substantive talks with his camp about an extension? Well, first, he's, a, he's an RFA, so we have another two years. So that's where there is no rush uh, versus if he was a UFA. Um, and again, uh, the relationship uh, myself and Jim have with his camp, uh, we, we talk. Uh, we talk about a lot of things, but uh, in, at this point, we feel that uh, we'll, we'll settle in here. And uh, Elias really wanted to emphasize and focus on having a good summer. And he came in here um, 10 days ago, and uh, I believe that he's in really good shape and uh, excited where we are. Uh, the moves we made this summer, the direction the team and the organization is heading, and uh, how we've got to play. So 
Uh, at some point, I'm definitely sure we, we pick it up here again. But uh, as I said, I have a, a, a good relationship with Elias and his agent, and I feel good about the situation. And just so everybody's clear, like, is there dialogue ongoing? Like, neither side has said we're going to push this until the end of the season? Oh, we, we basically left it open here. Uh, well, I, I mean, I, Jim and I talked with Pat on, on our way back from Penticton on different things, and uh, uh, we, we will continue to talk here. Um, <clears throat> Rick, uh, your club has obviously upgraded its uh, PK personnel, uh, but of course with a lot of new faces, I'm curious what the process looks like for um, acclimating everybody, get, getting everybody on the same page. Is it a relatively seamless plug-and-play type of process, or in your opinion, is there a lot of sort of learning and you know whether it's systems whether it's getting everybody on the same page page about reads that sort of thing yeah there's there's a there's a big chunk of obviously systems you know I, the guys that uh, we acquired kind of reminds me when i was in arizona we had we had a couple of years where we were i think we were top five we had a really good pk there we had some of the attributes there here you know teddy beluger is a he reminds me of a brad richardson or a Darius step on the way they pk you know ian cole i mean um I always remember the time we, we beat Nashville in the playoffs to win the cup. We were five on three down, and it was a zero zero game. They, you know, they score maybe, you know, the, I think we won that game one nothing, but if they score, different narrative maybe. And I know Kohler ate about six pucks. He blocked six pucks, and, it's, and he played out there the two minutes. So he's a good, like, he's not afraid to block a shot. And in PKs, you got to have those guys that will eat a puck. You know, um, Susie with a long reach, you know. Um, he was. I thought I watched a lot of film. Adam Foote and Sergey about his PK prowess with Seattle, and with that long reach, being able to kill a cycle. You know, um, you know. Obviously, the guys that we had last year. You know, Miller and Pedersen for sure together. I mean, there's a two-week stretch. I don't know how many goals they got right. Um, you know, then there's Suter, who's a PK. We we have a lot of bodies now that can penalty kill, and they have the attributes that I think you have to have a good PK with the system. But PK's attitude and, and, you know, there's bravery and there's excitement in the, fan, uh, in the sense that when you kill it off, it gets the fans revved up. So we're going to try to supply that. Um, and uh, it's a work, like I said, it's going to be a work in progress right from the beginning. We're going to really, just like all, all, all systems and all, whether it's diesel and coverages or PK is going to be right up there for us, in, uh, especially in camp. You know, I think, our, I think our third day we're going to be doing special teams. Usually coaches wait, but we're not going to wait. We want to get right into it. Even if some guys have never PK'd and they're out there, so what? You know, we're going to – there's some, some drills that we're going to do where you're going to have to have those attributes. And looking ahead at the schedule, are you concerned that the PK is essentially going to be thrown, thrown right into the fire, playing Edmonton back-to-back, -back, and then even – uh, two of the next three games are against Tampa and Florida, another couple of, you know, lethal power plays. Is it a little bit concerning that you, you know, as you mentioned, it's going to be a work in progress and, and you want to get everybody on the same page. Is it, is it tough to, you know, again, essentially have it thrown right up against the fire to start the season? No, I'm not going to sleep for two weeks before the game. Like, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm good. Um, listen, you're going right away. We got Edmonton, the best, their power play is outstanding. Um, what better test is against that team? So we got, what was it, three, I don't even know, th three weeks before the first game or whatever. Um, we'll go through how to, how to, 
you know, how we're going to go against, against anybody, but it's more, it's not who you play, it's our philosophy and our attitude on the PK. Um, and obviously, I'm excited, actually, the first game is Edmonton, where we'll see we are against the best, you know, and um, it would be a hell of a boost if, that, if the PK can do a good job against them uh, in two games, that we really give the confidence level. And if it doesn't, you know, we're going to keep working at it. That's the way I look at it. Patrick, uh, between Abbotsford and Vancouver, I believe you have seven goalies now under contract. Is there such a thing as too many goalies? Uh, we'll see here at training camp how they perform. Um, I do believe we're going to have eight at camp here with Ty Young and, and his performance in, in uh, Penticton here over the weekend. So, again, competition and roster spots um, it just uh, makes the camp even better. Um, and then just, I know you touched on Tucker Pullman in the email this morning, but you know, obviously a tough situation, probably difficult to predict, but do you, is, you know, is there any hope of him having a role to play this season? Um, no, uh, Tucker is not going to play. Uh, we supporting him and uh, uh, helping him in any ways to, to get his life back and feel good about himself. Uh, obviously, when you're coming into a situation like this uh, over the last couple of years, haven't played much, uh, hockey becomes secondary then. Uh, but Tucker uh, feels the support and, and uh, he got the necessary help uh, and uh, hopefully um, getting in a better place um, as we move forward here. And then just Jim, you guys I think are just about the only team in the NHL that still takes your training camp on the road to start. Um, can you just talk to us about going to Victoria? You know, how, what, why do you guys still continue to? I, mean, I know there's, you know, building reasons this year in particular, but but going on the road, what, is, what does that mean for you as an organization? Well, it's a couple of things. The, um, you know, the Canucks are very popular throughout the province, and we'd like to reach out to some of those uh, smaller areas, and give those people a better chance to see the players practice and see them around town and things like that. It's something we talk about every year, whether we're going to continue to do it. Um, certainly when we get to the point that, uh, um, you know, we have more options, you know, we could go to our place in Abbotsford too. It's a great facility. Um, our facility is will be 100% done for next year in Rogers, so that's another option. But, but reaching out to some of those smaller areas where uh, we have a lot of fans uh, is important to us. Um, Patrick, just wanted to ask about the, the goaltending and specifically, I guess, down in the AHL. Are you guys comfortable running with three goaltenders throughout the season or with the ECHL connection now? Is there going to be a lot of movement for that uh, with the depth there in goaltending? Yeah, I think it's important for uh, young players to play a lot of games. So. Definitely not an ideal situation to have three goalies, so, so that definitely will be some movements. Uh, and we, that's why part of it was why we agreed on on having affiliation Kalamazoo there. Uh, and just wanted to, this question, I guess for anybody, um, Andre Kuzmenko looks like he's in great shape in camp. I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts on uh, off-season in Bali uh, for his workouts. <laughs> That's a question for the coach. Well, I'll, <laughs> let, I'll let somebody uh, else answer it, but my son followed him every day. 
So he made me aware of what, what he was doing, and he thought it was great. I don't know if the coach, what the coach thinks. But. Well, it's a little unusual, you know, a couple months in Bali, but he brought a, he brought a team with him. You know, he, I think, he, did he bring a chef? He brought everybody over there. So um, got to give him a lot of credit. You know, you know I'm sure, the, you know, I know he makes a lot of money, but the cost of bringing those guys over, I think he had a skating coach, a strength coach, and all that stuff. Um, I know, I know for sure he's lost weight. Um, he's changed his diet. He knows that what it's going to take, you know, uh, to get to the state of the level. You know, he obviously 39 goals. I mean, that's terrific. But to play the way we want to play, uh, the you know, to play, you know, Canucks hockey. He knows that he had to change his diet, and that was one thing that we talked about. And he did. And I saw. I give him a ton of credit. We had a skating test, and I got glimpses of some of them, and I think he did a really good, really good job on our skating test. So he's made his strides to do the right things, and that's what I like. So, you know, if he scores 60, I think we're all going to Bali. Uh, on the lefty-righty defense thing, it's actually a kind of a two-part question for Patrick and Rick. Do you factor in positional versatility with, like, handedness on that as far as your evaluations? And... Do you covet positional versatility? And then for Rick, like what primary attributes do you look for for a player to make that switch? Well, when we are uh, uh, going through the process, obviously we're, we're scouting staff and analytics weighed in on players. Uh, some of them have played uh, uh, their offside. Uh, I think Carson Seuss and Ian Cole actually was a pair in Minnesota there. Um, I think uh, that's something that the coaching staff uh, in the end of the day gonna gonna put together uh, the the lineup the decision there, but definitely helps with guys playing uh, their offside and and capable of playing two positions. Uh, another guy is uh, Brisbois; he's capable of playing both uh, positions as well. Yeah, I think um, it's hard to find righty lefties. It's you know sometimes almost impossible to get that. I'm a righty-lefty guy, but that doesn't mean you can't have two lefties playing together. Like Patrick said, there are guys that can play their left side. Uh, it's almost impossible to do that all the time. But, you know, we've got some new righties that come in. Obviously, you know, McWard, I think, did a terrific job last year and had a great camp uh, with the rookies. He's a righty. You know, Philip Hironik, obviously. we got some good righties here. Um, and there's some guys that can play their offside. But that's why it's important, like I said, our staff – um, can help guys that if they have to play their offside, you know, how to do it. You know, how to, like I said, I don't want to bore you guys, but <clears throat> accepting a pass in the neutral zone, taking the puck off the wall in the offense, it's hard to do, and some guys can't do it. Some guys can't. So that's why, you know, uh, you, we have to give some guys a chance. Um, and it's situational hockey, too. There might be, sometimes there might be, for whatever reason, two righties with two minutes left because we want to match up. So it's a committee thing, too, and we, we have all those factors in. Uh, for you, for you, Rick, uh, on the power play, there's been a reliance on the power play to provide for team success as well. You've mentioned you want to be involved in it. Uh, how will you be involved? And it will, will the structure of it change at all from what we've seen here in years past? Um, well, it's on me, first of all. The power play is going to be on me. Um, but I also have some guys that are some pretty smart guys. You know, you're going into a power play meeting, uh, a coach department, and you got the guys that I have, uh, the twins, obviously, Sergey. I mean, Footy and, and Yosi are PK guys, but they're also, they put their PK on, on how do you break, you know, how does power play break theirs? Um, I mean, I ran the power play in Pittsburgh with Mike Sullivan, and, um, you know, every once in a while, Marilyn Mew would come down, and I'd 
give them the eraser. Help me out, buddy. Um, so I'm a believer in that, uh, you know, autonomy with everybody will have a say, but obviously it falls on me. As of the power plate, I, you know, when you beat pressure on a power plate, you got to take it to the net. That's one thing I think we have to improve on. Um, but I watched a lot of video of this team last year, uh, not even so much when I was here. These guys can make plays. Like, I know Edmonton's like the, is the, the, the barometer how great they are, but we got some guys that can, that can, that can make some unreal plays. Um, now we have to go, to, I think, to get the next step further is attacking the net more, um, a little bit more net front presence, you know, uh, teaching that bumper a little bit more. I think if we can add some levels to there, I can think we can have a great power play, which they've had a great power play in the past. So that's just my philosophy on a power play. Uh, for Jim and Rick, um, what are your thoughts on the Mike Babcock situation? Um, I'll take it for both of us because he's probably going to have the same answer. We don't have enough information to really make a comment on something happened with another team. It's obviously unfortunate, but uh, I don't. I don't think I can say any more than that without having more information. For either Jim or Rick. <clears throat> The construction at Rogers Arena, will that mean that after training camp, once you get back from Victoria, you'll have to be off-site for additional practices in the lead-up to the season? Uh, yeah, we've went through the schedule. We kind of know what we, what's presented in front of us, so we've already made plans for that. So, yeah, we'll be at UBC a lot. Um, you know, we've made it. Uh, I know that we, when the guys came, the guys were positive about how great the food was there and the facility where we, we got what we need. Um, but, yeah, we've planned it out, uh, you know, when we're going to be at Rogers or not. It's been, uh, it's been uh, you know, the schedule's already had. Yeah, and it's not just the construction, Thomas. It's, it's the building's very busy. And, uh, you know, if you look at big markets, for the most part, the hockey team's not in it, Madison Square Gardens. And I can go through a lot of teams. Uh, especially in the U.S., so um, it's just uh, it's just the part of uh, of doing business in a market where the building's used more for hockey. It's used for a lot of other people that enjoy going to events there. All right, that was Rick Tockett, Patrick Alvin, and Jim Rutherford speaking to the media at Park Casino uh, and Hotel in downtown Vancouver today. Lots to get into from that. I'm Jamie Dodd here, uh, getting Canucks talk started a little bit earlier. Obviously, you heard Drancer was down there asking questions. He's going to hustle his way over here. Uh, hopefully, uh, by the top of the hour or so, he will be back and we can dive into everything, digest everything that we heard on the eve of training camp opening from the Canucks leadership group. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. You can get your reaction in now. What stood out to you uh, from what you heard from Rick Talk at Patrick Alvin? And Jim Rutherford in a lengthy and very, very interesting press conference today. And uh, we may as well get right into it. I think the quote that we'll probably be talking about the most, but I, I have seen instantly get the most traction, the most reaction online, came from the president of Hockey Operations. And look, that's Jim Rutherford's MO, right? He hasn't spoken much. He said he was going to take a step back. He did that. 
after he hired Rick Tockett, but when he speaks, he tends to make news. He's honest, he's candid, he's not very good at hiding what he really thinks, and that's great. And part of his answer, or one of his answers today, asked about where they are in the process of turning this team around, and you know said that they're part part way through it. There's still a lot of work to be done. And then the way he described this year's team specifically, we have a playoff team if everything goes right. And we went to, went on to explain that means if our goalie is good, if our special teams are good, if we don't have a lot of injury problems, if everything goes right, we can make the playoffs. Then he went on to explain that. You know, that's fine, but we want to get to a point where you have enough depth, you have enough in your lineup that you can actually have a few things go wrong and still be successful, still make the playoffs. You can survive some things not going in your direction and still be fine. And that's a fascinating answer because I think a lot of people, and I've I've already seen this reaction online, people kind of taking the, oh, we're a playoff team if everything goes right, and kind of rolling their eyes and saying, oh, well, how low is the bar here? That's kind of ridiculous. But I think if you listen to the answer in context, I really appreciate the honesty from Jim Rutherford. He's not blowing smoke. He's not saying, oh, yeah, we're a clear-cut playoff team. I think he's being very, very honest and very, very candid, and in my view, very accurate about where this team stands in the pecking order of the Western Conference and the Pacific Division. Yeah, this probably this is a playoff team if everything goes right. As Jim Rutherford said, it's just that's kind of a frustrating position to be in, and I think Jim Rutherford acknowledged that. Now, you start to kind of elaborate on that and think, okay, well, what are the implications of only being a playoff team if everything goes right? How do you get from where they are now, where Jim Rutherford says they are now, right, in the one camp of everything has to go right to make the playoffs, how do you get from there to the ultimate destination of we're so good that we can have things go wrong and we can still make the playoffs, and that means when things go right, we're going to be a Stanley Cup contender. How do you get from point A to point B? Do the Canucks have the resources to do that? That's kind of the big debate around the state of the team. But I thought it was very clarifying for Jim Rutherford to come out and describe this year's team in that manner and be upfront about it. Earlier in the in the press conference, he said, yeah, I think we've improved a lot from last year, but that's not hard to do because we were very good last year. So we got a, a, a healthy dose of Jim Rutherford honesty uh, and, and candidness at this press conference, which I enjoyed. Very much. Uh, 650, 650, some of the questions coming in. Were there no questions or talk about a practice rink? Uh, if you just joined us midway, there was a question early in the proceedings, and it was very interesting. Uh, and this is something that I'm going to be really fascinated to see when we hear more of, if we do hear more about it. Uh, but asked about a practice rink, you know, Rutherford acknowledged that in the lower mainland in Vancouver, land is not exactly plentiful. It's certainly not cheap. So he says, we're going to have to get creative. That's what we're trying to do. He also says that he hopes that a practice rink can be in place for the start of next offseason, which struck me as a very, very quick turnaround because we haven't heard about a site. We haven't heard about plans, about a partnership between the Canucks and the city, the Canucks and UBC, the Canucks and SFU, anything like that. We really don't know anything. Now, I know there's been reporting from David Quadrelli at Canucks Army about a potential site at SFU, but that is just reporting. We haven't heard any actual confirmation from the Canucks or SFU about that. So to go from where we are now 
to potentially having a practice rink in place for the start of next offseason. That was a fascinating uh, tidbit for me from Jim Rutherford. We'll see where that goes. You know, we didn't really get a, a lot of follow up on that because there was just so much for the media to get into. But that was the update on the practice facility. Uh, and that really stood out to me as an inter- interesting answer from Jim Rutherford. Uh, Alan Calgary says, we are a playoff team if everything goes right. Every team can say that. LOL. What are we doing here? And again, Rutherford wasn't trying to brag. Oh, hey, we feel really good that we've put together a playoff team if everything goes right. He wasn't saying that's an accomplishment. I think he was being frank about the shortcomings of this team and how, yeah, okay, we've done that, but that's not really what our goal is. We're at that stage of the process, but that's not the end stage. We're not satisfied with that. We're trying to build something else. And again, the question I have, and I think the question a lot of other people have is, what's that path look like? Realistically, what are your chances of getting to that next step that Jim Rutherford, in my mind, quite rightly points out should be the goal? Uh, 650-650, again, is the Dunbar Lumber text line. You can get your thoughts into everything we heard, uh, and there was a lot to go through from Patrick Alvine, Jim Rutherford, and Rick Tockett speaking to the Canucks media. Drancer should be back uh, in a few minutes here. We will take a quick break and get Canucks talk proper going uh, right after the break here on Sportsnet 650. What is going on? It is Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd here along with my co-host uh, just striding confidently into the studio back from the season opening Canucks press conference. He is Canucks insider Thomas Drantz, also covering the team for the Athletic Canucks Talk. Brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. And 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, fair amount to get into from that press yeah. conference. A very, very fascinating press conference. Pretty good vibes. I All thought. right. Glad to hear it. Don't you think? Well, anytime you're at park. Good vibes guaranteed. Yeah. That's n- you're not wrong. Um... <laughs> Although, although oddly, considering I was just at the park, I'm coming back with all the money in my pockets. <laughs> um, hey, hearing from Rutherford for the first time in nine months and seemed pretty much Jim Rutherford, right? Like, yeah. crack and wise, correcting Jay Janauer multiple times. Like, he was in his element. Honest? S- super honest. Yeah. We'll get into that. Yeah. Um, but it was a reminder of what an asset he is. When he's out from behind the curtain. Well, there's a reason you hire him to be your president of hockey operations. There's a lot of reasons. Obviously, he's accomplished a ton as a hockey executive, the relationships, all of that, right? But one of the reasons is, I think, his ability and his credibility as a communicator, right? Because yes. everyone knows he's he's telling to you straight, right? So you don't have to guess about what you're hearing from Jim Rutherford, typically. And I thought, like, I <laughs> there's so much to get into. But, I mean, when we get to the comments specifically of... 
we're a playoff team well, if the, everything the, breaks right. That one's going to be tough for me, but yes. No, 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 but like, isn't it... He's it right. It still feels like it's advancing the conversation forward in a way that other senior members of the team are not really willing to do. Like, only Jim Rutherford would have been willing to put that fine a point on it. For sure. Well, and then noting, you know, I don't know how these gentlemen feel, right? Like, he was even <laughs> joking about the fact that he was the guy who was willing to say that. Now, I mean, first off, he's right, in my opinion. That's a comment that I think I made last week, like, at length, except mm-hmm. I was, you know, being like, plus 180 or whatever, like, doing all my all my yeah. shtick. But... He's right, right? Like, we had Ryan Clark on yesterday while you were away, mm-hmm. and he was doing his Pacific Division tiers, and he had Seattle third, which, you know, we'll have to work with him on that. But for me, you know, the definition that he gave, right? We're a playoff team if everything breaks right, and then cited specifically because of the impact players, and noted that the special teams have to be on point, and they need to be healthy, mm-hmm. and their goaltending needs to be good. I mean, legitimately, you could... Like, that's a Yannick Hansen take. <laughs> that's something that I'd say. Yep. That's something Bruff would say. Bruff, by the way, back patting himself for getting, like, one good response at the only question he'll ask at the rink all year. Love that, by the way. Hey, he's batting a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's George Costanza, like, leaving right after a joke that everyone laughs at. Um, he's right. Like, he's right. And and for me, you know, when you look at the Pacific Division, like, I think you can put Calgary and Seattle in the same tier, and I think you can point to Seattle last year as the team for whom everything broke right for, mm. right? But but was probably a playoff team only if things broke right. And it did, because it can. And the Canucks certainly have the talent for it to break right for them. I mean, they have the best goaltender in the Pacific if he's, if he's healthy. I don't, I don't think that should be a particularly controversial statement, even. And... Where I sort of have trouble with that, right? Like, where where I struggle to wrap my head around it is I think there's a gap then between the club's actions and that commentary. Yeah. The The diagnosis of where the team is at is correct. It's dead on. It's the, and then what do you do as a result of that? That, I think, leaves a lot of people scratching their heads. Well, well it's like, if if that's true, how do you square that with the decision to, say, extend a... 30-year-old for seven years, given the probability that his best seasons on that contract are going to come at the front end when you're still tinkering with mm-hmm. the club's cap situation and, and getting the club to a point where they're going to be good enough to overcome, you know, the the slings and arrows of outrageous hockey fortune, which is a more colorful way than Jim Rutherford put it, but effectively what, what he was, he was talking saying. about, yeah. The, the idea of luck-proofing. A team so good, it's luck-proof, right? I love all these concepts, and this is one of the reasons why you know, certainly for the first eight to ten months of the Rutherford era, I was so complimentary. Like, I thought he had such a clear view of where this team was at. But, again, how do you square the, that commentary, that idea, with the JT Miller extension? How do you square it with the Oliver ekman Larson buyout, the biggest in the history of the cap era? How do you square it with repeatedly trading picks, trading future assets for the benefit of the team's short-term health? Mm-hmm. That, that's where I sort of get lost with it, where I struggle with it, where I struggle to make sense of what the actual plan is beyond we're going to sign NCAA free agents as a way of masking the fact that we're selling futures, right? and we're going to sort of slowly lower the ceiling of this team for the benefit of now while talking like we're in a long-term build. I mean, 
is this unfair? Like, this is how I felt about it. No, I don't think it is unfair. Like, it's 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 pretty close to how I feel too, right? Which is that, yeah, you're you're one hundred percent right about where the team stands. Like, that's a bang on analysis, or at least one that I very much agree with. It just doesn't seem to fit with so much of what they're doing, and obviously the Tanner Pearson deal now. You know, Patrick Elvin talked about that, and obviously part of it was, look, we're trying to do right by Tanner Pearson, and we can't guarantee him a uh, roster spot or ice time or anything like that. And, you know, like I, I was looking at some of the reaction to the Tanner Pearson deal. And on it, Instagram story or on Twitter? On Twitter. Because, like, on Instagram story, you have Canucks players posting photos of them with Tanner Pearson and, like, the crying face emoji. Sure. But... You know, one thing that I think needs to be accounted for, and in my criticism of the deal, which I wrote at The Athletic, you can go read my column now, I sort of mentioned it briefly, but maybe didn't dwell on it as much as I should have. But we couldn't guarantee him ice time or a roster spot. Like, if if players are upset that Tanner Pearson got dealt, what would the reaction have been in three weeks on the eve of the season when he was if cut? If he'd been cut, yeah. I mean, that you know, that's a lead balloon mm-hmm. um, that the club has now sidestepped. And for what it's worth, if you're all in on the short-term health of this team, on this team making the playoffs with things breaking right for them, which the club is in action, if not in word, you know, avoiding that, <laughs> avoiding that, the intangible benefit of avoiding that is massive. Yes. Like sky high. Yeah. And again, again, it's like, so obviously the comparison that this trade is garnering a lot is go back to roughly this time last year, right? And it's the Jason Dickinson deal. Uh, with a second going out, Riley Stillman yes. coming in. And, you know, people do the the retort or the response of, oh, like, well, how good was that second round pick going to be? Or how good was that third round pick going to be? And, yeah, in a vacuum, none, none of these trades kill you. Like, of course, there's no one third round pick that's the straw that broke the camel's back. And, oh, now that you've traded that third round pick, you're never going to be good. Of course, that's not the case. It's the, the idea that this... It only hurts if you can guarantee that a third round pick is going to come in and play, you know, 500 NHL games for you is ridiculous. But while in a vacuum, you can make the case for each of these individual trades, when you add them all up, they really start to hurt. That's the problem, right? Yeah, I get that that third round pick is probably not going to come to bite you in the butt. That's that's how it works. That's how the draft works. (laughs) But when you do it over and over and over again, you're missing out. It's like, it's like, you know. Me and Elias Pettersson might both eat a chocolate bar. <laughs> but it's the preponderance of chocolate bars that I eat and the lack of calories that I burn <laughs> that makes a big difference in terms of our physique. Right? Yeah. I mean, truly, it's, it's, it's simple discipline. It's simple discipline. And to me, that goes back to sort of the fundamentals of just having a cogent plan here that I just struggle to see, especially when, despite engaging commentary, honest commentary, accurate analysis, in my opinion, from Rutherford today, a bravura performance, typical of him, I I, I still can't make heads or tails of what their overall philosophy is, aside from we're going to bring in a lot of NCAA free agents and we're going to generate depth as a result and thus we can afford to trade draft picks, but we're not actually going to do the work to like accumulate the surplus where we can then responsibly uh. deal from that. And I definitely don't understand the strategy in terms of cap allocation here. I thought that was the other really interesting comment was the idea like we're one or two we're contracts close, away. But we're still got a couple contracts that we want to, yeah. Which implies that in Rutherford's opinion, 
the days of the Dickinson Pearson style cap clearing deal are nearly at an end. And that maybe in the future they'll be able to behave a little more responsibly because the flat the cap won't be flat, hopefully. Although I, I always have to remind everybody with the diamond sports mm-hmm. holding stuff, now the biosteel stuff, like do not underrate the uncertainty we all still live live in in terms of HRR, right? Like the idea that the pot will just continue to grow has never been true. Has never been true in 15 years, and it's not true today, even if it's likely. So you know, maybe they get to a different point where they can operate differently, but I still just look at this and wonder two main things. One, does ownership share Rutherford's patient assessment of where this club mm. is, given their investment with the Oliver ekman Larson buyout and everything else this offseason? That's number one. And number two, how do those people, those Canucks fans, really intent on the club's playoff chances as they are connected to Elias Pettersson's future here, feel about it. Because Rutherford's not guaranteeing playoffs. He's saying, we're hopeful. Our goal is to make the playoffs, but... And how do you square that with this, the stakes that certainly the conversation in this city have imposed on this team, if not the team itself, which is that this season's effectively a referendum on Pedersen's future here. Now, one thing I do want to bring up, and this text comes in from Rager uh, about the quote, you know, we're a playoff team if everything goes right. Rager says, that sounded like a Jim Benning baked in excuse if they do end up missing oh, the playoffs. Oh, I, I disagree with I that. See, I don't think it was I, – I think it was – it I was it's, not – It's the And opposite. I saw some people on, tw- on Twitter even saying like, oh, what a low bar. He wasn't crowing about it. No. It was – you know, he was saying, this is where we are. If it's not where I want to be. We still have work to do. It wasn't an excuse. It was – I wish we were better than we are currently. That that's what it was, right? And we're we're going to keep you know undertaking this process to try to get to that next step. But I don't think it was trying to lower expectations. I don't think it was setting up an excuse. I don't think it was, you know, patting yourself on the back for reaching that bar or anything like that. I think it was just being honest and if anything saying, I'm frustrated that that's how I can honestly describe our team because I would prefer for it to be a lot different. So I don't think it was uh, I don't think it was anything like that. Like I saw some people uh, reading it, but you know, I actually think it's the opposite. I think in some ways as, as our reaction to it, our focus on it, our commentary about it, not matching the club's actions make clear. I actually think it's a comment that rather than deflecting sort of, you know, I don't want to say puts a target on the, on the, their back, but to some extent it's a, I mean, it's a real comment that I think actually does open the club up for some criticism based mm-hmm. on the the win now or or at least short term focus of so many many of their actions over the course of the past fourteen months. Like I, I would say, it's the opposite of excuse making. Yeah, no, exactly. It's being honest that you're not where you, you're not where you want to be. Yeah, right. That's that's what it was. Uh, first and foremost, um, your point about how this interacts with the Elias Pettersson situation and we didn't get a ton of new information really or new thoughts I thought uh from from Patrick Alvin on Elias Pettersson you know reiterated something we've heard a lot which is that he has a good relationship with him has a good relationship with his camp didn't really answer whether they had any you know significant talks salary talks contract talks over the summer and left it open and in Patrick Alvin's interpretation the two sides have left it open to potentially renew talks 
down the road. It is fascinating, though, because you wonder, you know, was did they make a big offer? Was that offer mm-hmm. received by a wait and see response? Yeah. I mean, the dynamic this summer was always going to be, regardless of how Pedersen feels about like winning, right? Regardless of how he feels about Vancouver, and I think he feels very positively about Vancouver, and uh, I've continued to say that, and that matches everything that I hear both privately and publicly. Regardless of how any of that plays out, like the dynamic just from a pure business analysis of the sport was always going to be in players' interest perhaps to wait, in teams' interest to get cost certainty, team takes massive run, player determines whether or not it's sufficient. Like Mm -hmm. that was always going to be like the fundamentals, right? And I say this a lot, but sometimes – Getting the insider intel can actually take you further away from the truth, right? Sometimes just knowing the fundamental dynamic is more helpful. That's the fundamental dynamic, right? Now, I don't think that fundamental dynamic was decisive. Right. I I do think that Pedersen's trying to figure out, as he approaches the age of 25, can I win here? I, I, I do believe that that's the fundamental dynamic. And, or, or that's the personal dynamic on top of the fundamentals. And so, you know, it's interesting, but but I thought, for the most part, Alvin ducked that question. And that's yeah. fine. It's a sensitive one, and you definitely don't want to say something at that press conference that ruffles feathers with your most important constituent for the next, you know, 24 months. But it's fascinating, and you, know, you, you were bringing this up, how does the, the Jim Rutherford quote about where they are as a team right now and where they want to get to still and the work they have to do to get there interact with... The Elias Pettersson situation. Right. Right? Like, because there has been, and I said this at the time, but it's way too simple to make this a, a binary. Oh, if he, if they make the playoffs, he'll sign. And if they, no. that, that was never the case. But you do wonder, I mean, how does that message, let's say, in, you know, in these negotiations, in these talks, that Pettersson's getting a very similar message to the one Jim Rutherford delivered right now, right? That, hey, we're, we're only partway through this process. Right now, we're a playoff team if everything breaks right. But we want to do more than that. I mean, on the one hand, you could worry that, oh, is that like it, it, that's almost too pessimistic? Is that going to is that really going to entice Pedersen to stay? But I also could look at it and say, honesty counts, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> you're not going to lie to him and convince him you're something you're not. So at least be honest and say, look, we know this is not the end game. We know this is not the end stage of what we're trying to do here. We know we can be a lot better as an organization, and we want you to be part of it. But to me, the Rutherford quote puts a really fascinating spin on the sell job they're going to try to do this season with their play on the ice to Elias Pettersson. So I've written this before, but I'll tell it again because it's awesome. When Pettersson interviewed with Canucks scouts and management at the 2017 NHL scouting combine, right? He was asked simply what his goals were. What do you want to do in your career? Mm. Right. And players have all sorts of different, you know, I want to play. In the NHL, I want to be a good character guy for a winning team. You know, you can have a million different... I want to be a 100-point guy. I want to be Mm -hmm. a 30-goal scorer. There's a million things you can answer. And Pedersen impressed, in fact, wowed Canucks brass and Canucks scouts because his answer was, I want to win cups, plural. Right? Now, I remember, like, he is a bad loser in his own words, the worst loser. Like he's, he's bad at losing video games. He's bad at losing golf. Like he, 
he's one of those guys. I think we all know people like that. Like people who are like oh, ye- yeah. yelling at their dad in a game of like <laughs> canasta, flipping over the table in family <laughs> board game night, or yeah, and you know their wife. Uh, this is definitely my wife. You're not fun to play games with. <laughs> it's like I know I need to win, <laughs> but you know the fact is is that whatever it takes was his response to me when I asked him directly about Quinn Hughes's like anti rebuilding quote. Mm. last year whatever it takes and i don't think if you're selling him on a long-term vision that that's a negative i don't think the idea that you're like hey look this isn't our time but we're on the way and in a couple years we're going to be there i don't think that's going to kill you i just think that needs to be compelling Mm. That's why I've always rejected the, like, well, they had to sign Kuzmenko or Patterson would have left. It's like they signed Kuzmenko. They extended Kuzmenko, and Patterson still wants to wait and see. Like, you know, you, you can't cater everything you do to appeal to one person as an organization. That's not how you build a team. That's, in fact, a wildly dangerous dynamic to have internally. You have to have some self-respect as an organization. You have to do the right thing and sell the right thing. And And I think... I don't see Rutherford's commentary as not squaring with the club's pursuit of Pedersen because I think Pedersen's so smart. I think he's so clever. Mm -hmm. And I think he knows this game so well that what matters far more is, is he buying that he can win here? That's it. Yeah, it's exactly. I don't think it's the timeline thing that causes issues, but it's how convinced is he that the plan is going to get you there eventually. If you're that pro- it's going to be successful. If you're projecting your own values about what the team should do onto what Pedersen thinks, you're wrong. And that includes me, by the way. Right? Like, he, he's going to have his own opinion. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. This one comes in. I loved JR's quote about where they're at. Told me he's honest with himself and fans about where they're at. I miss hearing him speak. Uh, yeah, it was nice to uh, to hear from Jim Rutherford after a while behind the curtains. And as, uh, as that texter says, nice to get that kind of direct honesty to the fans at the beginning of a season. Uh, more texts uh, coming in. Uh, This one says, please discuss Jim Rutherford's comments that there are some contracts we don't like and we are waiting to get off of in the next couple of years. I mean, look, there's there's a contract. There's a contract that will expire at the end of the season that we'd prefer to not have. Let's just say that it's attached to T. Myers. No, no, no. That's too obvious. (laughs) Tyler M. I think we I think we have uh, we've done the deep dive on the contracts that they're not particularly enamored with. We're pretty clear on that, on who they are. It's Tyler Myers. Probably Rock Besser still. It's Connor Garland. We don't have to go through the list in depth. And, you know, one of those expires after this year. And then there's kind of uh, a ladder situation. Brock Besser the next. And then Garland the year after that. N- none of them were moved in the summer. But, yeah, you're going to keep hearing those names in trade discussions, in, you know, in, in rumors about trying to clear that salary cap space. Uh, I did think it was interesting that. You know, Jim Rutherford mentioned it's not just that they don't like those contracts, right? Or they, you know, they don't like those players. It's they're kind of almost at the point of having having unraveled the salary cap situation, and then they can start operating how they want to be operating, right? And maybe be a little bit more aggressive. And I do wonder, I mean, what does that what does that version of Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine running the Canucks look like, right? Where they are 
in their own words and in their own minds, out of this cap situation, this really unfriendly cap situation, and they can start doing things in a different way. Is that internally how they see taking that next step, right? Like, okay, hey, we'll have this cap space. We can go out and be more aggressive in unrestricted free agency. We can do these different things that will propel us into that next tier of teams with the greater depth. I understand that, but I also get a little bit nervous if that's the if that's the goal, if that's the plan, it's really, really hard, I think, to climb the ladder like that in the NHL through unrestricted free agency. So, I, well, I, look, look, everyone wants more cap space, more cap flexibility, but, like, what are the concrete things that they are, you know, looking into the horizon to try to do with that cap flexibility? I, I'd add this. I'd add this, right? As much as, you know, the, 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 the team is about to hurdle some of the quote-unquote inconvenient money they inherited. Right, Myers is up after mm-hmm. this year. Pearson's now off the books. Um, Beauvillier will come off the books, although they added that contract themselves. And then you've only got what the three years left of, of Garland to a Besser. Mm-hmm. Right. So as much as you're nearing the end of that, there's also going to be the accumulated scar tissue, cap scar tissue, effectively of the bets that they themselves have made. Besser being among them. Right. The Besser settlement yep. was their contract. Among them is this club has two two of the, like, one-way contract defensemen. I, I, I guess you if you, it could be a few more. It could be four if you want to include, like, Hirose and Brisebois. But very much, um, you know, you should include them in a qualified sense. Two, two of those guys who are signed. Two of those guys with more than, you know, 15 games of NHL experience signed beyond the season. Um, Hironic is going to require a massive raise, double his salary, probably. Um, maybe not uh, quite, but he's going to come close. Could It depends on how he performs, but yeah. I mean, his arbitration rights and on and on, you're, you're probably looking at seven plus at least, right? So that's a significant raise. Yep. And then Pedersen is also up after the season, and you're looking at, at, you know, even if he ends up with an arbitration award, you're looking at 10 plus. So... That's six million right there. That brings you to twenty-seven, and that's with three defensemen with meaningful NHL experience signed. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's going to get tight quickly again next year, even if the cap goes up, right? So, like by the time you flesh out your blue line, you're looking at seven, eight, max, mm-hmm. one player maybe, one one really good player. So, you know, the club's still going to have a, a sort of rolling cap concern that's going to have to be managed really carefully scrupulously and one thing about sort of bleeding future value incrementally right is that diminishes your ability to down the line trade that third that you need to trade to get off the deal right because you haven't done the work to get the surplus assets to do it without actually harming well, and it also, you know, reduces the likelihood that you have, you know, hey, this guy who's played two seasons in Abbotsford, we think he can step into our top six right now for at an entry level right. deal. You know what I mean? It reduces your your chances of bringing in impact players at the cheap from your own organization and giving them the chance to really get their feet wet. I mm-hmm. mean, the Pod Coles and Hoaglander thing is going to be fascinating because the club is touted that you know what they've done in Abbotsford under Jeremy Colton is going to really prepare them for this season, but you know pretty rare that we've seen NHL players really get the reps they need to level up at the American League level. Uh, this text points in as well, uh, an OEL 
the the cap hit on the books still as well. Like that's, that's going to be a situation that, but that's, that's <laughs> gets more difficult, not less, in the coming years. That's part of what we're talking about, right? Yeah. It's and and this is why you know the focus on like well, third round pick doesn't matter. It's like it's a hard cap system. Everything matters, right? It's total efficiency. <laughs> that you're after, right? So a little bit of dead money here, mm-hmm. a, a couple of mid-round picks here, right? A, an inconvenient contract for a veteran depth guy here, and pretty soon, you know, if you're if you're eating too many chocolate bars, <laughs> <laughs> you uh, you're in trouble. Oh, uh, indeed. Uh, all right, we're we're gonna take a break. There was so much to get into. Uh, I want to talk about some of the the on ice hockey stuff, training camp stuff that I thought was really interesting that we heard from Rick Talk, and of course, training camp getting going tomorrow in Victoria, and also some of the the big picture facilities, practice rink stuff we heard from Jim Rutherford. Lots to get into. You can si- send in your text 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. More Canucks talk coming up here on Sportsnet six fifty. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance, live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. So as we continue to digest and react to everything that we heard uh, earlier today from the Canucks leadership group, uh, Jim Rutherford, Patrick Alvin, and Rick Talkett, obviously with the news that Jim Rutherford would be speaking for the first time in a long time in his role as the president of hockey operations. I think we all expected that there would be uh, a fair bit of facilities, rank, practice facility, talk and questions at this press conference, and we did get some information from Jim Rutherford on those positions. Now, earlier in the show, before you uh, hustled back from Park Dranzer, I, I, you know, I think this answer was maybe a little bit unclear from Jim Rutherford, but speaking about a practice facility specifically, I thought he had said that he hoped a practice rink could be in place for the start of next offseason, which struck me as a, a very, very optimistic timeline. No, I Your don't... interpretation was that they hoped to have a site in place. I assume a, he meant site right. because there's no way it, you it can just have doesn't one. make sense no. unless it's, like, I can't even think of it. Think think of a practice facility as like a really high-end community center. Yes. Right? It's like a, a multi-year project. Like when I was in Florida, I don't know if you were uh, know that I worked for the Panthers. <laughs> uh-huh. uh-huh. Um we identified and broke ground on a practice facility that I think is going to open midway through this year. Wow. Right, you've now, been back for a while. I've been back for four years. Yeah, so it's like, you know, now granted that was like um an old like war memorial public building that's getting massively retrofitted, but nonetheless, just to give you an idea, the Seattle Kraken practice facility, right, and that started in 2018 uh, and and opened you know for their inaugural season, but it's like it's still under construction in terms of the wider facility. The right. team facilities are done, but the overall complex is still being worked on when you go so you know these are big projects big projects yeah and I mean as much as it is a and you know as Jim Rutherford said it's uh, it's a priority for ownership obviously there's a sense of urgency I think about getting a practice facility done you and I have talked about it as much as you want one in place 
ASAP, you also don't want to rush it. You know what I mean? You want to make sure it's the right location, the right facility that you're doing, that it's going to be not just a practice facility so you can check that box, but that it's going to be a really major asset for you and something you feel good about for decades to come. Like that, it's a massive capital investment. You want it to be right. You want it to work for a very long time. So, and you know, Jim Rutherford talked about, look, we all know the score here when in Vancouver, right? We know real estate is very expensive, especially when you start talking about massive infrastructure projects like this. And that makes it difficult to find a location. As he said, they're going to have to get creative. I think it's, it tells you how difficult it is to find that location. This is something Jim Rutherford's been talking about since he's been hired. Yes. And we're still maybe eight months away from hearing where the location could be. You know, the thing that compounds it, though, is the fact that the Canucks also have an aging primary building, right? So Rogers Arena is getting close to what we'd consider or what the industry anyway would consider to be. And and this is very, like, technical uh, ownership-level business talk, but the end of its functional lifespan. Mm. Right. And what what you mean by that in in professional sports and entertainment is the number of, for example, premium spaces is being eclipsed by some of your competitors. Right. Some of the facilities themselves are just old. Some of the some of the frankly, like equipment that makes ice, the dehumidifiers, like all of that stuff ages pretty rapidly. And so at about 25 years pro sports teams tend to start to, like a hermit crab, look for a new home. Uh-huh. And Rogers Arena opened in what, 97, 98? No, 95, 96, I believe. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're getting there. Now, obviously, as you see in, like, Madison Square Garden, right? Sig- uh, Staples Center, or what's it called? Crypto.com. Crypto.com, baby. <laughs> for at least another week. Yeah. <laughs> As you'll see in those places, you know, the way that you extend the functional lifespan of a building is massive CapEx projects, and the Canucks have undertaken those over the last couple of seasons. They redesigned the locker room and the entire, like, bowels of the arena last summer. Uh, This summer, seats have changed. Uh, There's going to be all sorts of different bells and whistles. Um, You know, it's not just the new... It's not just the new Jumbotron or Jumbi. That's (laughs) another technical term that... (laughs) it's used internally (laughs) but like new digital dashers all around the arena in the voms like you know how they have those ads on every vom those are all digital now yeah so it's going to be incredible from a visual standpoint like when you do you know an o canada and have everything with the canadian flag or uh you know a corporate takeover if you're if you're really into branded content like it's going to be amazing but you know it 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 is going to keep the team out as rutherford sort of confirmed um, of the facility for a bit. The Laver Cup, you know, is the reason why they did the presser at the park today. So the compounding issue of having this busy and building that's also aging and the lack of a practice facility means that after the club returns from the Save on Foods Arena in Victoria for training camp, um, they're going to be practicing out at UBC. They're going to be preparing for the season out at UBC. And, you know, that's a multi-use facility, right? Like last year, the ice quality was brutal. There were a few player injuries that were sustained out there. Travis Dermott stands out to me. Um, It's not a fit facility, frankly, to gear up for an NHL season as an NHL team. Like, it's just not. It's a great facility for college sports. Right. It's a great facility for, for rec league. But, like, 
you know, you can even see the seams showing when we were out there for development camp, right? I mean, when I think about the Canucks preparing to play the Oilers twice out at UBC for two weeks, and I think about the Oilers preparing to face the Canucks at, you know, the -the state-of-the-art in-house facilities at Rogers Place in Edmonton, it's almost like Ivan Drago and Rocky (laughs) preparing for their big title bout in Rocky Three. You know what I mean? Like where Rocky's like punching meat and like running up the mountain. And local mountains, by the way. Mm-hmm. Definitely definitely in the Pacific Northwest masquerading as Colorado. And like Ivan Drago's got like, you know, the the, the steroid injections and the state of the art facility stuff. Do you know what you know what the sequence is? I know what you about. mean. I know what you mean. It's yeah. the Eye of the Tiger sequence. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's like very much what's gonna be happening. Like and that's not ideal. Like that's not an ideal spot to be in. Uh, for the Canucks, and and that's sort of one of the challenges that Tockett and Canucks players are going to have to work around, and one that the organization, you know, Rutherford called it a priority for ownership, and you know, it it really should be. Yep, it really should be. You don't want your facilities to be a a competitive disadvantage. No, and you need to make those investments. And as you said, they've been doing it at Rogers Arena, right? And they, you know, Jim Rutherford talked about that, and he said it, he made it sound like next year, if they wanted to have training camp at Rogers Arena, it would be an option because all of the various. Uh, renovations and projects they'll be doing will be done by that point. But I think really the key is eventually having that practice facility in place uh, to be your home away from home. That's a long-term project, but I, I, I'm just like, I would just love to know. I would love to see plans and hear about a site. You oh, know what yeah. I mean? That we can really dig our teeth well, into. And And one thing, you know, as much as Rutherford noted that, you know, the site, the facility, the land, the fundamentals of, of construction in Vancouver are are tricky. Like, there have been multiple prime locations available or on mm-hmm. offer to the Canucks that, you know, effectively fell apart over um, over money, right? Over over the business deal. So, you know, to some extent, this is a self-made problem. And, and that's at least worth noting in terms of evaluating Rutherford's answer. Uh, multiple people texting in, including this one, says, hey guys, Rachel, sorry to correct you, but Clubber Lang was Rocky 3. Ivan Drago was in Rocky 4. Oh, my bad. And we've got multiple people. No, as you know what? I, that's my bad. And um, I've, I think I've mentioned this before, but my uh, my grandmother's an extra. She was in the crowd of the Ivan Drago, <laughs> uh, my late grandmother. Um, and you can like make her out pretty well, like like straight up like um like an NPC in Street Fighter, like shaking yeah, her yeah, fist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so like I sometimes watch it and just like smile because it's uh, NPC it's my dear it's my dear grandma Joe. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like... I know exactly. <laughs> just that one animation they yeah. have, just constantly <laughs> cheering no matter what's happening. Pretty much. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, um, I should know that given its connection to my family history. Uh, very good. Um, Love to flub a movie reference. <laughs> Thank you to everyone texting in with uh, with updates on on which Rocky movie uh, that one was in. Uh, six fifty, six fifty. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the L. Yes, <laughs> good for you. Six fifty, six fifty is the Personal Dunbar girl. Lumber text <laughs> line. Look at us. <laughs> Look at us growing. It's only September, <laughs> and we're already. Exhibiting personal growth. Uh, anything stand out to you? Good about- habits. Good habits. Structure. Yep. Anything stand out to you about Tockett's commentary aside from that he doesn't know he's going to play with Quinn Hughes? I thought there was a lot of interesting things that Rick Tockett Me had too. to say. I thought the hearing him talk about how his training camp is going to be and the relentless focus on the educational side of yep. things and the systems work, that's really 
I don't think just atypical from what we've heard from different coaches here in Vancouver. I think that's kind of atypical around the league. Like, well, that's what that's what Boudreaux was emphasizing last year, for what it's worth. Yeah, more, but that... more an X's and O's training camp than a fitness testing training camp. Now, the reason you usually get the fitness testing training camp, right? The like heavy, like but there's t- but hold on, sorry, okay, but there's like. I don't think it's just the two things. Hold on before you talk for 20 minutes about nothing. <laughs> Cuz I don't think it's just I don't think it's just like fitness 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 or education. I think no. there's like probably where most training camps fall is kind of the middle ground and you know he talked about hey we're going to do battle drills and stuff but I think like that's kind of your your typical training camp is get the guys skating not not that we're trying to drive them into the ground get them skating get them competing get them doing those drills more than hey here's the chalkboard guys and we're going to start diagramming everything yeah I mean right? I, I think what you're looking for though is just like who has NHL skills who's a realistic chance of helping us you know what I mean and then you use that information to put together scrimmage lines to test it mm-hmm. right and then you have a short list of hopefuls right there's not like a long list of guys who can actually make the team as as much as we want to be romantic about you know like think about Phil DiGiuseppe guy has been the best player at three Canucks training camps and only finally has yep. broken through right um waivers business considerations contract status like determines 98% of every NHL roster and then there's a little window available to to those players who make a massive impression and really force management's hand over the course of the next month that's not just true for the Canucks that's true for 32 NHL teams and so one of the reasons though that you get more battle drills skills like flow drills um fitness stuff as opposed to like hard education and and talk it went as far as to say that he's going to do special teams on the third day of camp but part of the reason why you get more of the other stuff and less of the educational stuff in a typical training camp environment is when the Canucks announce their roster for this training camp even with no PTOs they're going to have 48 guys there Uh (laughs) and they're going to have 48 guys there practicing and it might be 50 guys there practicing in three groups Right. Talk, it probably won't even take the ice with the third group. And it's hard to distill information to groups that large. Right. Like it just is. It's it's hard to have the intimate one on one coaching experience that the Canucks are clearly priding themselves on with the Gonchar and foot yep. name drops and the Sedines and, and talk it himself. So, you know, usually you wait till what you know, you quote unquote get down to your numbers, 27, 28 guys, you're you're more NHL ready group, and then you start busting out real special teams work, real systems work with a with a smaller, more intimate group of people who might actually be on your team, you know, in the first week of the season or the first man up in the event of injury. Um so I'm really curious to see what it looks like when we get to Victoria because it sounds like a heavy lift to have like a very educational camp with those sorts of numbers yeah and there's two parts of it there's the educational camp thing which as you said with those numbers is a little bit different than how teams do it but then there's also the specifically the special teams work from a from a whiteboard coaching systems educational perspective but also the drills right like he said you know we're gonna start doing pk drills probably day three and that's going to include everyone even guys who if they've never been on the penalty kill before, we're going to try to be teaching them those skills. We're going to we're going to get them involved to at least see what they can do. And I think that's a really fascinating wrinkle too is not just going to that special teams work so quickly when you do still have so many people in camp, but making it just kind of camp camp wide. Like it's going to be a thing that 
no matter who you are in training camp, at least this is how Rick Tockett uh, made it sound today, you're going to be taking part in those drills. And I just think overall, I wonder what, like, what should we take away from Rick Tockett's decision to design training camp this way? Like, is there still, it does it, does it, you know, because I'm kind of sitting here and thinking, okay, does this mean he still has major reservations about his team system play, right? About his team structure in the defensive zone. Like, is that a fair takeaway from the idea that he's going to be doing all of this educational systems work so early in training camp? I I think we need to see it, right? I, I want to see the action as opposed to the words. Sure. Um, I want to see what it looks like. I haven't seen Rick Tockett manage a training camp yet. You know, and, and one thing you try and do as a reporter is, is like, what I don't know yet, at least not intuitively, right? I think I know. I think I have an idea, at least. But I don't know intuitively how Rick Tockett watches a player, right? Like, mm. I know how I watch a player, right? But I don't know how Rick Tockett watches a player. And, and what you want to figure out over time is what sorts of plays does a coach really care about? What what values in terms of player evaluations does a coach really care about? Because then when a guy does something, you're like, ooh, he might have his ice time reduced. Mm-hmm. And then if that happens, you know what I mean? Like over time, if you're really watching closely and covering a team the way we do, you know, you, you want to get to a point where you can anticipate the story before the story, where you really have a sense of how the coach is thinking about things. Um, I didn't really have time with Bruce to get there. Right. You know? Um, but I did with Travis, like by the end of Travis's tenure, like I knew what camp would look like. I knew who would stand out. Like I could watch the first day of training camp and be like, I remember watching the first day of the bubble training camp, right? The one before they went to, and I watched Oh, sure. Yeah. And I watched the very first day. And then I bumped into Travis actually on my walk home because he was biking home on the seawall. And I was just like, Louis is not going to be on your team. He's in your top six. <laughs> and he like laughed. <laughs> Because, you know, Louie just showed up in great shape, and he was going to be on the team. He, th- there was zero chance that Jake Vertanen was playing ahead of Louis Erickson in that bubble run. So, um, and you could tell from the very first day, like right away. I, what I'm sort of curious to see is begin to build that data set. I want to see how this camp actually looks. I want to see what the drills actually look. I want to see and get as good a sense as I can with my level of hockey knowledge, which obviously pales in comparison with the players or, or with Rick Tockett's. Um, what the drills actually seem to be emphasizing before I have those takeaways, you know, of what, of what it looks like. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, I think it is going to be a really, it's going to be an interesting learning experience for all of us seeing the Rick Tockett training camp and everything from, you know, who's in which group, what, like, as you say, who, where, how often is Rick Tockett on the ice with the different groups, all of those things, what kind of drills they go to right away uh, are going to be very, very fascinating to watch when it opens in Victoria uh, tomorrow. Now, one thing I did think was uh, was interesting, and I remember back to last year's training camp in Whistler, where Bruce Boudreaux was very open about, hey, we're trying to get off to a good start, so to that purpose, I'm going to put some lines together that I think can play together on opening night. I'm going to try to keep them together for as long as I can. Now, injuries and some other things get in the way, but I thought we heard a pretty different message on that notion from Rick Tockett today, who talked a lot about keeping it fluid, giving people different opportunities up and down the lineup. He mentioned the idea of maybe not having trios that you're married to, but if you find duos that you like, and then you can rotate third guys in there on the lines. And so I think Patterson Kuzmenko, Patterson Kuzmenko, you would think. DiGiuseppe Miller. 
<laughs> is that though? Do you think for I sure? I do. I do. I would say maybe Miller Besser. Oh, maybe that makes sense. Yeah. But the problem with that is then you've got lefty center, righty center. If you want to have duos where you're rotating a third guy through comfortably, mm-hmm. you want it to be on the same side. So if Pedersen Kuzmenko is going to be one of your yeah. duos, I think you want. Oh, I see what you mean. You want a, you, a left wing and a center. I see. I see what you want. You want uh, a right wing spot open and a left wing spot open in the top six is what you're saying. Kuzmenko and Besser are both on the right wing. I'm saying you want you want all you want your duos to both be left wing center or center right wing. So that you can rotate the other guys. Oh up well, Kuzmenko though, like he—he's a lefty. He he plays on the left side. Yeah, I don't know. He can. I think you can mix that up, right? Because like mean, you, you cause, can. Because before it was, it was Patterson, Kuzmenko, Mikheyev. Mikheyev's left winger. No, but Mikheyev played right with that group. Sure, but that's and, what I mean. And when they brought you, Beauvillier you have up to that the group, flexibility to to put. But when they put Beauvillier up with that group, who is absolutely a left winger, he played the right side too. Like, Kuzmenko was ensconced in the left side. They realized that that was where he was best. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm just, it I, doesn't, I, that, that never concerns me that much, to be perfectly honest. Like, left wing, right wing. It, it, it only matters for some guys. Like, some guys can play both wing positions and some guys can't. Yeah. And, and by the way, I don't think Kuzmenko's a guy who can't. I just think when you have a guy who can shoot like that, finish like that, and most importantly, pass off their backhand like that, mm. you, you just like, you're not going to be like, hey, you go to the right side because we want Beauvillier to play where no. he's more comfortable. No, no. It's it's like you have to adjust to the guy who scored 40 goals. That's how it works. Yeah. So I would expect Kuzmenko to be a fixture on the left side. One yeah, way or the other. but I mean, I, I would agree with you that I think it's going to be Pedersen-Kuzmenko to start, right? And Talkin had some very glowing things to say about uh, Andre Kuzmenko's <laughs> performance. Hey, he mentioned he did really well in the in the skating test. Right? So there's some tangible... It wasn't effusive, though. I like that they're doing the skating test behind closed doors, by the way. Mm. I think that's a good call. You know, I th- I don't think it helps anyone to have guys puking in front of You don't want the us. Ole Levy situation again? No. I mean, that... No. No. I don't. I don't. It, like, it I don't. Well, just strictly from a like PR perspective or whatever, it doesn't help the team's interest. You don't want that. No, you don't want to have that out there. Guys. No. You wanna, in, in fact, especially if you can keep the fact that a guy's out of shape under wraps... You know, like, oh, man, he had a great summer. It was amazing. He had a great summer. Yeah, no. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You think we'd part with him for a fourth? It's going to need to be a third. After he came in this shape? This kind of shape? <laughs> Best shape of his life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, keep your thoughts coming in. Uh, we will continue to look ahead to training camp, which gets going tomorrow for the Vancouver Canucks. Lots more to dive into uh, from everything we heard from Rick Tockett and Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford. It is Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650.